Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. Riddle me this, Allison. Yes. How do you feel this evening? I feel fine. It's good to know. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking with Alex, who brought some stories about a UFO that looked like a cloud, an orb he saw in the woods, this kind of weird wrong place. He just calls it like the wrong place in the same woods. And most interesting to me were these stories of what Alex called the Boo Hag, which is a folkloric name for one of these sort of uh, nightmare entities. It's pretty creepy stuff. After we talk to Alex, we will be talking with Zoe, who we've talked to before. She has started a new publishing company. It's kind of a reformation of an old publishing company. She's going to tell us about that. They do some ghost story books and similar things. But before we get to either of those things, we must mention these Strange Familiars mugs. They are 12-ounce mugs with a matte finish on the outside, glossy blue on the inside, and the blue Strange Familiars logo on the outside. The Awoken Tree logo kind of matches the inside blue of the cup. They're about half gone, so don't sleep on them. If you want them, they are in our Etsy shop. Etsy shop name is Lost Grave, one word. But if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up. We might do more mugs down the road, but for now, this is going to be it for this design. We might do a different design some other time. But for now, this is it. If you want one, grab them while they're hot and then put hot liquid in them or cold liquid. 
they'll hold either. We make no judgments. All right, let's go ahead and get to Alex's stories. Tonight, we're talking with Alex, who has a variety of experiences to share with us. How are you doing tonight, Alex? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Happy to have you on the show. You know, as much as you're comfortable when you're telling us these stories, can you tell us when and where they happened? And you can be as general as you want. I know some people don't want to get real specific on the place, but you know, if right. you be as general as, you, as you'd like with that. But just give us an idea. I can do that. Well, I'll start with just some uh, background of the area because most of it's happened. I've been in the same place for about the last 10 years. I guess longer than 10 years now, but uh, I will say it's in eastern North Carolina. Okay. And I will say that uh, in this particular area, we have a lot of military bases around us. But I'll say the, the first thing I kind of want to talk about was I saw what I would call UFO. And uh, I don't really attribute it to being alien. I think it really came from more of one of the bases here, especially because most of the bases here are air bases. Okay. What I saw was I was heading to work in the afternoon one day. And, you know, I'm at the stoplight to get out of town. And it's kind of a long stoplight. And I just kind of look up. And uh, I've been around aircraft, you know, a long time, a big part of my life. You know, I grew up in a military family. And we saw a lot of them. And I live around them now. And you've got all these big clouds that are kind of like rolling off, you know, to the side, like normal, big, windy clouds rolling off. And then coming from a different direction going opposite direction of the other clouds. So the clouds are rolling in the background to the right. This thing starts coming to the left and it looks like a cloud, but it's taking off in the same pattern as like an airplane coming up, going up in the air and just, you know, I've seen airplanes taking off and how they, uh, how they look when they're climbing and it looked exactly like that, except it's just this cloud going in the complete opposite direction of all the other clouds. And so that's my uh, my UFO, which doesn't sound very grand, but... No, that sounds so, super interesting. interesting. So it just looked like a cloud. Yeah, it looked just like a cloud, but it wasn't moving like a cloud at all. Uh, it was moving exactly like an airplane taking off. It's really hard, and people have asked me to estimate the things, the size of things I've seen in the sky, and I've, I have trouble with it myself. Yeah. So understanding right. that, I will ask you about how big do you think it was? I really, really couldn't tell you. Um, I would say... I don't. I really couldn't tell you. It was like bigger than like a fighter jet. We got a lot of those, but it wasn't you know something super huge. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, it's even harder to say because it was a a cloud. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I realize that. It's it's it's. I like I said, I'm no good at estimating size. People to ask me that, I I don't know. You know, I have no clue. If you held your arm out at like at, at arm's length, would it be like the size of a quarter or something? Or. Uh Probably about the size of my palm. Okay. That's that's considerable, though. I mean, that's not small. Right. Well, yeah. maybe, yeah. It's really, really hard for me to yeah, tell. Yeah, it's, it's diff- it really is difficult to estimate the size. But I have to ask. But, yeah, that was the interesting. There's nothing other, other uh, that happened that was really eventful with that particular instance, but... It was really interesting, and, you know, I get to tell people I honestly saw a UFO, you know. Yeah. Is there a reason you think it was connected to one of the bases? I live in a town that's literally right next to an air base, and it was in this town, you know, as I was leaving that I saw it. And then if you go, you know, 
let's say a couple hours, you know, one direction, you've got another air base and you go a couple hours, another direction, we got another air base. So that's just the reason mm -hmm. I think it was tied to the bases. It's just that, you know, it wasn't something with crazy lights or, you know, uh, some kind of really odd shape. I mean, it could have been, but I didn't see it. And the fact that just the way it took off was just like an airplane climbing, you know? Yeah. So that was UFO. There's also, you know, I spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, me and my group of friends in high school have been here from the time I started high school to now. So it's been about 16 years. So definitely more than 10 years. Uh, but we used to go out in the woods and uh, we had our own little like a uh, sort of bridge trail thing that went off to a, a dock. And we would go down there all the time and, you know, we'd be in the woods around it and everything all the time. And there was this spot that we would hang out there and, you know, we'd go fishing or, you know, do whatever, just hang out. And every time we went there with somebody new, there was this one spot that was on the other side of the creek. It was just wrong. Like, and I don't know how to explain that other than like, it just felt wrong. Mm -hmm. And everybody, every time we would go out there would just be uh, drawn to looking at this weird spot. People would, you know, you'd catch them staring and you'd ask them about it. And they'd be like, what is that? Which is kind of weird that, you know, people ask, you know, what is that? Like looking off at a spot in the woods that really shouldn't be anything. I think one person even asked, uh, what does it want? <laughs> Which was weird, really weird. No, it was just this wrong spot in the woods that you would always get stuck looking at. And the really strange thing was there was an actual dead spot in the woods across the creek from us. And you would think, if anything, that's a spot where people would be looking and their eyes would be drawn to. But that wasn't the spot everybody was looking at. Like, the spot that everybody thought was the wrong spot, was, they'd always say it was just up a little more and off to the right, sort of like at a corner to the uh, to the dead spot, and that was the wrong spot. And was this, you know, a sort of a, a void where there wasn't anything, or was, was there trees there, or yeah, there were there was trees there, there was plants there, and it was just this strangest thing that every time you'd go out into the woods there, you just felt something coming from this one spot. Huh. And like I said, it's right by a spot that is a dead spot where there right. was just nothing growing. But yeah. that wasn't the spot. It was every time somebody'd be out there, be like you're looking at the the wrong spot, right? And they're like, Yeah. And I'm like, It's it's not the dead spot, it's it's just forward into the right. And they're like, Yeah, how did you know? I'm like, because we all see it. We, you know, we all feel it. It's, uh, it was an interesting thing. I have a friend who his family's been in the area for a very, very long time. You know, he would tell me things like, you know, uh, not so much the woods where we are, the woods where we are is pretty much surrounded by city. But, uh, if you go into the deeper parts, you know, it's, he'd say a lot of the people say it's haunted and you get little, uh, fairies, fairy lights kind of things. Mm -hmm. And they'll, uh, leave you off and get you lost in the sinkholes. You know, I went out there with him a lot, and I asked him one time, what is it? And he's like, just don't look at it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, what do you mean just don't look at it? He's like, ignore it, pretend it's not there. Don't do anything, just pretend you don't, don't even know it's there. He was very, very adamant. It's funny, because he normally would talk about things like that, but like while we were out there with that wrong spot, he was like, you just don't talk about that wrong spot. Hmm. No. That same area was... Uh, on the trail to that area, I uh, actually saw one of the, well, like a little fairy light thing myself, which was 
another odd experience. I was there with a couple other people too, which was nice to be there with other people when I saw it because it made me feel like I was crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's always a good thing. But you know, I'm out there, you know, with two of my friends, they each had a beer, you know, I hadn't, and we're just sitting there hanging out. And I say, I mentioned the beer because I think it's kind of relevant to fairy lore. Mm. From what I understand, fairies like to smell of alcohol okay, or the taste of alcohol, something like that from things I've heard. But uh, it came out of the woods, you know, uh, almost directly at us. And it's this pinkish purple ball of light that's probably, I'd say like a, it looked a little bit bigger than like a 50 cent piece. Mm-hmm. And it's this little pinkish purple ball of light and it comes towards us bouncing in the air and sort of like, you know, how like a sine wave, you know, has yeah. that, you know, nice little arc to it. Mm-hmm. It had that nice little arc going back and forth, coming closer to us. And it got to about six to eight feet away from us and it just stopped dead in the air. And it was almost like it had that brief little moment where it recognized us and it stopped. And then for about two seconds, it hovered there and then it made a straight line at a right angle from the way it was coming at us, just all the way off into the woods towards the creek wasn't bouncing after that. Like it just it was like it realized we were there and saw it and then just shot away as fast as it could. Wow. How close did it come to you? Uh, six to eight feet. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty so, close. Yeah, it was, it was pretty close. Uh, and I mean, I know like a lot of people say things like, you know, you see those lights in the woods and that's just swamp gas or, you know, it's somebody shining a light somewhere or something like that. And, you know, that's not somebody shining a light or swamp gas, you know, especially when I've, been in the woods there you know yeah yeah as much time as i spent out there and i never seen anything like that and swamp gas doesn't move with uh intelligence like that right you know it doesn't skip along so to speak you know realize something's there and then stop and then just shoot off in a straight line yeah i, I mean i've had any number of people tell me the lights are this thing or that thing at least a couple of these people i've been able to take out and show them and at the end of the night, they're like, oh, that's not what it was at all. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not making it up. These things yeah. are weird. They're out there. Yeah. No, that was was really interesting. I uh, asked my one friend, I'm like, you know, I asked both of them, you know, did either of y'all see that? And the one that did see it, you know, she was just there with, like, her mouth open was like, yeah. And <laughs> the other one was just like, see what? Mm-hmm. You know, and we both look at her. We're like, what do you mean? See what? And she's like, what What are you guys talking about? We're like, you didn't see that? And she's like, no, what, what are you talking about? We're like, I look at my friend that saw it. I'm like, it was this little pinkish purple ball, right? And she's like, uh-huh. And I'm like, and it just came bouncing up. So she's like, uh-huh. Yeah. And then like, and then it shot off. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay. I'm like, as long as, long as I'm not the only one. Yeah. 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 I, I can live with one of them not seeing it as long as they're, you know, both not telling me I'm seeing things. <laughs> No, and that's not uncommon. Some people, for whatever reason, I don't want to say they can't see it because I think everyone can, but they're, I don't know. I, I just don't know. But yeah, that's not terribly uncommon either, where one person just for whatever reason just doesn't see it. It was something we were both like, you know, shocked that she didn't see it. We're like, what do you mean? You didn't, how do you not see a, a pink purple ball of light bouncing at you, you know? Mm-hmm. The direction it shot off would have been towards that wrong spot. And I mean, not like, you know, dead on 100%, you know, on track with it, but 
that would have been the same direction it was uh, flying towards as far as general direction. Did you or anyone ever cross the creek? Is it a creek that you could cross to explore that area, or is it just not so, even an option? The problem is, on the other side of that creek, it's actually a uh, base property. Okay, yeah, you don't want to mess with that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's actually, and I don't know, it would be interesting, except I don't know that it's really something you could ask. Um, I think on the other side of that creek is actually the CO's house. And I think that because it's a house that has a uh, direct access to water and a, you know, a boat dock. And I can't imagine who else would have the one house that has a uh, direct water access, you know, but yeah, yeah, it would be interesting if I could, you know, ever, you know, say like, Hey, uh, although I don't think that's something you ask the, the CEO of, a, you know, a military base. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna get much traction <laughs> with that. Yeah. Cause it was basically that dead spot was, or not, well, the dead spot and the wrong spots, they were fairly close to each other, but like something like, you know, 12 feet past, you know, where you could see where it was clearly their yard. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if any of them have ever had any uh, weird feelings or seen anything strange going on. Yeah, yeah. Was it the kind of thing that you get used to? You know, you visited several times after a while, or do you just sort of ignore it and, you, you know, or is it always just kind of there and wrong? For me, I, I felt like I got used to it, but it was also that that little section of woods, you know, was it kind of felt like it was our section of woods. Mm-hmm. So we really, like every day we'd be out there for at least, you know, a couple hours in the woods. And it wasn't just like, you know, we went on the little uh, little trail, the little bridge thing. Because uh, I'll say uh, the woods there is swamp about half the time. Because mm-hmm. it's so close to the creek and, you know, here you get a good rain and it just really makes it like uh it floods it all and it's this you know mucky squishy watery swamp thing and you know we would actually spend enough time in there that we knew where to walk to avoid all you know the the sinkholes and you know how to walk over all the the parts that would sink down and right so for me it felt like it was over there and this was my woods you know so to speak mm-hmm. and so while I always kind of like felt it there, it wasn't something that was a direct worry after I got used to feeling that it was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saw Cottonmouth that was doing this really, really weird um, sort of writhing thing. And it really bothered me uh, because number, number one, it's not the way those snakes generally behaved. I mean, it, it was really weird. And then number two, because the memory around it just really, really feels fuzzy. Like unnaturally fuzzy. It was another part of woods in the area, you know, that I didn't normally go to. And just, you know, one day I thought, hey, I'm going to just go out and see what's over here, kind of thing. Pretty quickly after walking in the woods, I see that uh, cotton mouth there. And it's number one, it's staring me at the, in the eye, which was a little uh, creepy. Yeah. And it's just kind of twisting its body and doing this weird winding, twisting motion, like all the way down. It's body and it's kind of like sitting in this coil but it's like the coil is slowly kind of getting closer to me Mm -hmm. but it's never leaving a coil form and uh everything other than remembering what the snake was doing felt really really fuzzy so you know i got out of there and i think about every now and then that's just it's really it's an odd memory that's not very good memory yeah i don't know it's nothing, you know, overly 
supernatural or paranormal, but it was it was a really odd thing to have happen there. Yeah, you know, I'm it's, it's looking at me in the eye while it's doing it too. I'm not familiar enough with snake behavior to even comment on it. You know, yeah. But, uh, are they pretty common down there? Uh, they're pretty common. Yeah, you have to watch out for them. Uh, you do if you're going through the woods. Uh, around here, they don't come out of the woods very often. Uh, really, more we get uh, copperheads that come out in the roads and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're they're not as big of a thing to worry about as the cottonmouths are. We get copperheads, and up in the mountains, we'll get timber rattlers. But that's it as far as venomous snakes here. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm told we do have rattlers here, but I've never seen any of them. No, that does remind me of one other sort of odd uh, encounter I had in the woods. So um, I was hanging out with some friends and, you know, uh, it was, it was hunting season. They were just going to kind of go out real quick, just kind of look around the area, see if it was going to be any good for hunting and happened to be li- uh, literally the day before turkey season. We go out there, you know, and we're looking around and we see something come out of the woods and it starts flying off. And they all swear that it was a, a uh, wild turkey and the wild turkey came running off and flew off and you know he's like you know that's why he didn't shoot it was because it was wasn't turkey season yet by like a day but it was really the weirdest thing because it didn't look like a turkey to me it was this weird another one of those where the memories just feel unnaturally fuzzy Mm -hmm. and it was this weird featureless kind of a blob and it had like these weird sort of wings and it just takes off in the air and I mean, it definitely had wings, but it was like kind of like the smooth grayish, like whitish gray, kind of like a very light stone color, you know, mm-hmm. but it was just the smooth skin, just this kind of rough shape, you know, roundish blobish shape. And then it had, you know, this kind of like rough outline of wings and just took off in the air and it looked like absolutely huge. This looked like a a large dog size, you know, just kind of going off in the air and the wings just were like way, way undersized for what it was. Did it fl- yeah, and turkeys kind of have that awkward fly. Did it, did it fly like a turkey? I, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't think it did. It. Yeah. They have that like real awkward, you know, like they're struggling in a they way. Do, yeah. yeah. They, they look, they don't look like they should be flying, but they do. And this was, in a very, very broad sense, kind of like that, but it also didn't look like a turkey. Like, even it didn't look like a wild turkey, you know. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like it had feathers. It didn't look like it had anything, you know, on it. It was just shape. And it was really, really bizarre. And, you know, the, the other two people I was with, they, they swear, you know, up and down it was a turkey, and it was just this, like, really, really bizarre thing for me to see. And it's... Another one of those where everything around the memory feels a little fuzzy. Yeah. Those are the only two times I've had things like that happen, but, you know, seem to happen around the woods here. Mm-hmm. You know, that odd things kind of happen from, you know, what people told me. And nothing, nothing huge, just little odd things like that. Not quite right. Yeah. And get on to the, uh, the, the big thing that happened to me, which was uh, the night hag sort of creature. Yeah, sure. So first off, I'll say I don't have sleep paralysis. I've never had sleep paralysis. And I say that because from from what I know about night hags, like a lot of the times they're seen by people that do have sleep paralysis. Yes. I do have weird dreams, like really weird dreams. And I do have 
I'll say layered dreams. That happens a lot to me, but never actual sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. So start off with a precursor, which was not the hag encounter itself, but something that might be related. I woke up in my room and I sat up to look around because, you know, back in, this was like probably when I was like 19, maybe 20, something like that. Those were my wild years. So, you know, I'd wait, I'd, you know, go party somewhere and I'd wake up and I'd look around and try and get the, get an idea of where I was. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that, that was normal for me. So you know, I happened to be in my room this time, you know, so I, I sit up, I look around, I'm like, okay, it's my room. And I turn my head to, you know, as I'm going to lay down and at my head, the head of my bed is my window. And on the right side of my bed, as I'm laying in it, is the wall. The light from the sun outside is coming in through the blinds. It's sort of just cracking the blinds. And it's making this line against the wall to my right where you've got the light from outside and you've got the shadow from inside of my room still. And I'm there going to lay down and I turn my head as I'm laying down and I see that line. And I see that line and I just freeze. And... I'm paralyzed. Like I couldn't move. You know, I don't know if I could speak. I didn't really try to, you know, I'm just there paralyzed. I couldn't move my eyes and my eyes are just stuck on this point right there on the line where the light outside and the shadow of my room are meeting. You know, I'm freaking out a little bit, you know, of course, cause I don't know why I can't move. And it felt a bit like panic, but it wasn't overwhelming at this point. Mm-hmm. It was something's wrong, and I know something's wrong, but, you know, it's probably going to be okay. I was familiar with the idea of sleep paralysis and, you know, the idea of sometimes maybe even when it's not sleep paralysis, you might, you know, see something your brain's not processing right, or you might have a little hiccup, you know, so to speak, in the, the software. Yeah. Like, and that's what I was telling myself is that's just it. You know, I'm having a little human glitch, and it's, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but it's going to be okay kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And after I'm staring at it for a good while, I managed to pull my eyes away, you know, off to the left. And I sit back upright, you know, to catch my breath because I think I actually may not have even been breathing at that point. But I sit back up and catch my breath. And, you know, I tell myself, okay, wow, you know, that was weird. You know, this was, what are the odds of that happening, you know? You're, you're never going to experience something like that again. You know, that was crazy. You know, you, you've got a story, you know, a cool little story you can tell people. You know, I go to lay back down in my bed and again, and there's like this little internal argument with myself, you know, of uh, you should look there again. And, you know, no, you shouldn't look there again. And the the part in my brain that said you should look there again one out and I ended up looking there again as I went to go lay down a second time. And this time I uh, was paralyzed again, looking at the exact same spot. And this time I had the weirdest, like most certain sensation that I was looking at something. There was something there and that it was that my brain was not processing what it was. And so it was removing it, but that there was something there. Oh, that's very and interesting. It was this weird, you know, I describe it as like primal dread, 
you know, where it's almost like it's not even an emotion anymore. It's just like like a like an override, you know, in your body. It's you know, panic, panic, panic. Mm-hmm. I never felt anything like that. It was it was very very intense. I don't think I can get across to people that haven't felt that, like you know, how intense of a feeling of dread that really is. Yeah, it was like that was. I don't know. It was intense. It was crazy. But I keep having, you know, other than this dread, just this thought that there's something there and it's telling my brain that it doesn't see it. And like I said, at first it was like this feeling like my brain just wasn't seeing it. And then it was like this thought just went in my head that the thing there was telling me I didn't see it. Okay. And, you know, I'm there for a while, you know, really, really panicking and, and are the you, same thing. You're right? still in paralysis at this time. I, I'm paralyzed still at this point. Yeah. For yeah. the second time, mm-hmm. yeah. I was paralyzed. I snapped out of it. Right, right, right. Lay back down again and looked at the same spot and got paralyzed again. Yeah, that's um, an odd detail. Yeah. And at this point, you know, I finally managed to pull my eyes away again like I did before. And I mean, it took effort. Uh, it, it took some real effort to pull my eyes away. I just kept trying, and finally I could. But I pull my eyes away, and again, once I'm not looking at that spot, I'm able to move my body. And I just got up and left my room. I don't think I went back there for the rest of the night. I, I probably went into someone else's house after that for, <laughs> for the night. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was the first odd thing that I mentioned kind of like as a precursor to the actual uh, hag encounter I've seen just because it's, I know they're associated with sleep paralysis and what I had wasn't really sleep paralysis, but it was an odd sort of paralysis, you know, right after waking up. Yeah. A few months later, I want to say like three to six months later, so this is sometime around the time I'm 19, 20 still, so... This is probably 2011-ish. Okay. Maybe 2012. And, you know, I, I'm i asleep again. And when I say I've always had weird dreams, you know, I've always had weird dreams. The way this one started wasn't unusual for me. So I'm sleeping, and I have this dream that I'm outside of my body, and I'm looking at myself while I'm sleeping. 
And when I'm looking at myself sleeping, it's not just like I'm looking at it from any one angle. You know, I'm looking at myself from all possible angles at the same time. Like I, I had this entire 3D image of myself. Wow. Sleeping. So, you know, I'm kind of laying there and then I start to see myself kind of like, you know, tossing and turning. And I get this feeling like I open my eyes and I'm in my body sleeping. And this part feels a little fuzzy. And this part I do think is me dreaming. So, you know, it makes sense that it's fuzzy. But I open my eyes a few different times. Layered dreams are normal for me too. You know, where I have like a dream inside a dream and I'll wake up and then wake up again. So I'm inside my body and I feel wrong and I feel like I'm tossing and turning and I open my eyes. I'm looking at nothing, but I still feel wrong and I'm tossing and turning and I open my eyes again. And there's this time this like sort of witchy hag woman that's floating over me. And she had like, looks like a stereotype, you know, old witch, you know, Halloween witch, you know, and her, her skin is like, you know, looks like it's rotting and her clothes look all, you know, tattered and worn. I can't remember if her skin was like more of a yellow or a green. It was something in the middle of that area though. I just remember her having this like sort of tattered robe, like almost thing on. And she reaches her hand down into my head and pulls her hand back. And she pulls, starts pulling out what looks like a, uh, a spectral image of myself. Oh, wow. And I start freaking out more, you know, at this point, I, I don't know. I feel like this point I'm still in a dream and I start freaking out more and maybe tossing and turning a little differently. And she stops what she's doing, you know, pulling me out, you know, she doesn't let go. She's still holding on to the, the spectral image of me and she stops and she looks at me you know, dead in the eye for a moment. And then it's like a switch flipped and you could see in her eyes that she realized that I could see her. And then she just starts screaming at me. And, you know, this, this scream starts coming and the scream feels like it's putting into me this feeling that's that, you know, that, that primordial animal dread. Mm -hmm. And I start feeling that again. And, you know, the one other time in my life I'd experienced that at this point, I guess still actually, I've never experienced anything like this again was, um, that time I had the paralysis after waking up. Right. So she just starts screaming at me and, you know, she's angry that I've seen her and I've got this, just, just this deep animal dread inside of me. And I start feeling like I'm panicking and then something happens and then I just feel angry. This is another one of those where it's like kind of hard to explain the way it felt if somebody's never felt it before. It was like where that dread was like just like an override animal panic, panic, panic. This one was just like an override animal like fury, fury, fury. Mm -hmm. And I just start screaming at her and, you know, screaming back. And I feel like as I'm screaming at her, I get this feeling that I'm taking – all that fury, that like raw anger, you know, it it borders on hatred and I'm pouring that into her. Like I get the feeling like that. And I see 
her still screaming at me for a moment. And then I see like a switch flip in her eyes again. And this time it switches and she's afraid. Like she looks like she's starting to panic and she lets go of the ghost image of me. And she turns around and starts flying off towards my door. Hmm. So then at this point I wake up, I open my eyes again. And when I open my eyes again, I swear that my eyes were already open, but I had that feeling of waking, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have weird dreams and sometimes they're really bad dreams. So I taught myself, you know, when I have a bad dream and I recognize it's what it is to wake myself up, get out of it. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I just, you know, force myself to open my eyes and it's this really, really intense, open your eyes, you know, as wide as you can. And something of it carries through, you know, from my dream into my body usually and I'll wake up. And I did that basically, except my eyes were already open when, you know, I snapped out of it, snapped out of dreaming. Right. So I sit up then, you know, I'm freaked out and I look towards my door, which at this point I changed slightly the way my bed was. So when I sit up, I'm looking directly at my door. So I sit up looking directly at my door and I see the shadow that's on the wall, you know, leading to my door to the right of my door. Where it starts when I sit up is where the witch thing was when I first woke up, you know, in my dream. Like, so I'm dreaming the witch is at, you know, point A. I wake up, I sit up, and then at point A, there's the shadow on the wall that matches where the witch would have been. Mm-hmm. And it flies towards my door along the wall. The shadow, the shadow does. does it. Yeah. And, and the door flies open. The shadow flies out and then the door slams shut behind me. And I can say with 100% certainty that at the point where I'm looking at the shadow going across my wall, at that point I'm awake, 100%. I'm completely awake. I'm not any kind of dream. You know, that was, I'm awake. Right. And so, you know, the whole, the witch itself, you know, and seeing it pulling the image out of me, like that could be a dream. But seeing that shadow go across my room and my door fly open and then the shadow fly out and the door slam shut. That was when I was awake. Wow. That is creepy. So are you up now from, from, you know, from that point on? Oh yeah. I'm up for the rest of the day after that. that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even lay back down. I, uh, I think I kind of sat there for a minute, not sure if I should uh, go out or stay there because, you know, I know it flew out, but, right. uh, you know, do, do I go out and, you know, I know it's out there and not in here, but I, you know, do I stay in here? Cause I guess I don't know what else is here kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sat there for a moment and just waited. And I think I eventually told myself, I'm like, you know, um, whatever that was and whatever was happening at the end of it, it was afraid of you. So you get up and go, mm-hmm. just, just go about your business and, you know, don't worry about it. But yeah, that was, um, the most, substantial uh i don't know what to call it supernatural thing i've i've experienced it was yeah that's that's a weird one and at the point where she looked at you and, and looked you in the eyes or looked you in the face or whatever you are essentially out of body at this point so when you say she looked you in the eyes she's looking at you from whatever perspective you're in she's not looking at your body so when when okay um 
she's pulling the spectral image of me out of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the spectral image of myself still from in my body. Um, at this point, they weren't separated. She was just starting to pull it out of me. So, like, the head portion was pulled out. Right. And a little bit of the body. But you're you're but, from a different perspective. You're not in your body seeing this being pulled out of you at this point. No, no. At, at that point, I'm in my body. Oh, you so, are at um, that point. Okay. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Wow. Yeah, that is horrifying. I, I know the feeling of anger for sure when I had my quote unquote abduction thing. I said it's the angriest I've ever been. I've been, I was outraged. I, I don't even know how to put it to words. Um, right. So, I, I, yeah, I think I know that feeling. I certainly know the feeling of dread for sure. But that waking up and then having that while you're awake, the door slam, that particularly is, uh, that's something that would have shook me, I think. Yeah, it was something. I still, um, like I said, you know, I, I tell myself, you know, at the end of it, it was afraid of you, so it's all right. But still, like, even thinking about it, uh, it still creeps me out, you know, a, a pretty good amount. Yeah. And how long ago <laughs> was this, roughly? Oh, this was probably about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen her since? No, but there are um, some interesting things um, that go with it that kind of happens later. It was nothing nearly as substantial, but... So, you know, of course, when this happened, I start kind of looking stuff up on it. I knew about sleep paralysis and what I've heard called old hag syndrome mm-hmm. um, before that point. But, you know, from what I understand of sleep paralysis and old hag syndrome, what I had happened was similar, but it does not fit it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Often it's the hag sitting on your chest or something like that. Right. So, you know, I, I'm looking up stuff about old hag syndrome and trying to find anything I can that's any kind of similar to what happened to me. And I just can't, you know? And so for the longest time I think of it and, you know, if I would tell somebody about it, I would talk about it as it was sort of bizarre, you know, very atypical old hag syndrome occurrence. And probably about four years ago, maybe three years ago, uh, COVID messed with my understanding of time. Yeah. Um, It's happened to all of us. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going through Facebook and I see this thing and it's from some uh, paranormal thing and it's talking about the most well-known supernatural urban legends of, you know, each state. And the one for South Carolina, you know, I'm in North Carolina, um, is this, you know, the, they have just a picture at first to show you the thing and then you can check what it's, you know, called on the state thing. But um, it was that scraggly kind of rotting away witch woman. And, you know, I kind of clicked on it and it says it's a boo hag. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, huh. And I just kind of think, I guess they have a problem with, you know, the sleep paralysis hags, you know, in South Carolina or something. And I uh, kind of start looking at some of the other creatures, you know, and urban legends and stuff. And then uh, a little voice in my head's like, what if it's not the exact same thing? So I go, okay. So I go and look at it and I start reading up on uh, boo hags. And, so boo hags are very similar. They come in at night, although a boo hag specifically is supposed to come in through something like a crack in the walls okay. or like under the door or through a chimney, something like that. Some kind of part of your house that's not completely closed off, mm-hmm. uh, which tells me that they've got, you know, it's an interesting little detail that kind of implies that they have some kind of physical form. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, you know, substantial amount, but it's there. And then I'm reading more about it, and what they do is they basically 
pull your spirit out of your body for the night and they go in your body and they basically take your body for a joyride. Ah. And so I read that and I'm like, Ooh, and I had like, you know, just complete shivers down my spine because that fits. Yeah. And then, you know, the reason I say about the, the physical form is, you know, when it left, you know, it wasn't the shadow that just dissipated or it flew off into a corner or through a wall and was gone. It opened my door and flew out my door. Right. Right. Shut it behind so, it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that kind of started me on this other little thing um, where I started looking at other sort of sleeping, you know, hag type creatures and encounters. And uh, I found, you know, I, I knew that, you know, something similar existed in virtually every culture, but I thought it was basically just the, uh, old hag syndrome with you know a little bit of cultural flavor right but um there's actually a whole lot of different things and they all have very 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 similar properties but like properties that show in the lore from the culture you know it's almost like you know it'll have like these four traits and then these three traits won't be here but then you go to the neighboring country and two of those three traits that weren't there were here but then two of the other ones are gone. And it's this really interesting thing that you can look at, you know, a few different traits of these sort of witchy, haggy things. And it's almost like, you know, maybe, you know, there were a couple occurrences and people talked about and they didn't experience everything and they just reported these things. And those are the things to get passed on in the folklore. And then in this country, the things that people did experience and remember, you know, were something a little bit different. And it was really really interesting because I found that shapeshifters actually get lumped in with that a lot with the uh, the nocturnal hag sort of thing. I think like some parts of Europe, the mare, the nightmare, mm-hmm. you know, they, they talk about it either shapeshifting or possessing animals, you know, usually like uh, uh, horses or, or rats or uh, birds and, you know, doing the same thing. I think someplace they talk about, you know, they think it is a rat. And the rat comes and it sits on your chest and it's, you know, sucks out your breath. So to, they call it breath, you know, but what is it really sucking out of you, you know? Right, right. It draws power from that. And when it draws power from that, it can take on human form. Now, I'm not saying which one is right or isn't, but, you know, it's very possible that, you know, this thing that, you know, sucks your breath out of you, but then they say it can also turn into a rat in this country you know, say it's not the same kind of thing as, you know, over in this country where they say it's a rat, sucks the energy out of you, and then they see it turns to a human. Because they're both doing the same thing, and they're both turning from a rat to a human and back and forth. The really interesting thing I found was when you get to uh, Mongolia, because Mongolia has these things, they call it, I want to say it's like the black, or the pressing black, something like that. And it's these shadow creatures or they call it just the shadow, it's the black, it's shadow itself kind of thing. And then they have what they call the shamans of the black. And the shamans of the black are evil shamans that can haunt people's dreams. And, you know, some of them do do this from the things I've found, these things that are very much like when we talk about like a night hag sort of um, attacking you in your sleep and taking this weird spectral rotten form and Mm-hmm. trying to take your energy or trying to possess you. And they talk about the black and the black is like, it's as a proper noun, this sort of dark force. I want to say in Mongolia, but definitely in countries around Mongolia, there's like manifestations of it. 
And the manifestations are basically what people think of, like when you talk about, you know, people talk about jinn or shadow people, you know, haunting them. So it's almost like when I'm looking at all this stuff together and I get these places where they talk about the shamans of the black, and then you've got in the neighboring countries, you know, the, the dark or the pressing dark or things like that, that are these things that fit descriptions of jinn from other countries. It's almost like you've got these hags that are maybe shamans that are communicating with these shadowy creatures, you know? Yeah. You know, they're 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 related, but they're not the same thing. But then you've got this place here that's tying them together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this. There's so much in folklore that's like that. Pretty much compared to folklore as myself. And if you look at these things, you know, across cultures, there's differences, but there's enough similarities where you go, ah, uh, I think we're talking about essentially the same thing here. Right. So I kind of. Went on a little little bit of a tangent with that. Sorry. Um, I was going to talk about the, the creepy thing that happened after. So when I'm – the night I found out about, about the boo hag and I start looking stuff up and finding out stuff about this, you know, I uh, start hearing these weird noises outside. You know, and it's nothing specific. It's just kind of like tree limbs moving ways they normally don't move, you know, kind of like the sounds of – like something outside but not – like, you know, there's like some big creature walking around outside. It's just like you could hear these odd little noises that shouldn't be happening outside. Right, yeah, like enough to get your attention. Right. And yeah. so after, you know, looking this stuff up for a while and hearing these noises and deciding I've sufficiently, you know, scared myself for the night, I tell myself better get to sleep now or you're not going to. So I go up to bed and I'm laying there in bed and I hear this this noise and I can't remember it was three or four knocks, but I hear a knocking coming from my daughter's bedroom window. And now this is on the second floor. You know, all the bedrooms are on the second floor. And it sounds just like three or four knocks. Um, it was definitely wasn't two, but I can't remember if it was three or four. It, it sounded like a purposeful knock, though. It wasn't like, you know, just a tree branch hitting the house or the window or something. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the same pattern, like, or, or something like that. Right, right. Except the pitch was wrong, and it sounded like when you knock on glass, and it was coming from the direction of you know her bedroom, which is why I was thinking it sounded like something knocking on her window. I kind of have this weird mentality with these things where if you give them attention, you're giving them a reason to keep doing it with, with paranormal things, you know? Mm-hmm. But on the same hand, you know, I can't just completely ignore something knocking on my, you know, daughter's window. And so I'm kind of worried. But this particular instance, you know, we're, we're on the second floor. You know, it's a sheer wall. You know, it's not like somebody climbed the wall to knock on my daughter's window or anything, right, you know. Right. But it also didn't sound like the trees. So, you know, I, it's nothing natural. And I know it's nothing natural that could be doing that. And so I tell myself she's in there with our dog and we've got this pit lab mix that absolutely adores her. And the only time I've ever seen her growl at somebody or any kind of mean was there was, um, she has a friend and the friend's dad, you know, who we hadn't met before just decided he was going to walk into our backyard without telling anybody to go grab his son. And, you know, she stood between the, you know, them and was just there like around her. It's the only time I've ever seen her mean was she was, you know, protecting our daughter from the stranger. Mm-hmm. In her mind, 
you know, so I'm right. like, you know, she, she's going to protect her. You know, it's what she's going to do. I'm like, all right, I'm going to listen. And if I hear our dog make any kind of sound, any kind of bark, any kind of moving around, I'm going to go check it. But until that happens, I'm just going to lay here and listen. And I laid there probably a good 30 minutes and didn't hear anything else at all the rest of the night. That was kind of it for that night. But yeah, it was, it was really odd because, I mean, we, you could, you know, on a really strong windy night, there is a tree branch that maybe could hit that window, but it's not going to hit the window in the exact pattern of a person knocking on a door. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say a hundred percent, it's not going to happen. But I'm going to say like 99% it's not going to happen. Right. That happened on the night, you know, I was looking up the stuff on these uh, sort of nighttime creatures, you know, shadow people, we had shaman things. Mm-hmm. Another night I started doing it, uh, looking up some more stuff. And it was really weird because we had, um, I've never seen an owl in the house I'm in. I've been in this house for six years now. And only time I've ever seen an owl here. Well, I didn't see it. I heard it. You know, I'm in the living room, which is by our front door. And I hear this really loud owl hooting. And like I said, I've never seen an owl here. Theoretically, they could be here, but I've never seen one. So I go open the front door and, you know, I've got, we've got a cat that goes outside. So I'm thinking I don't want that owl eating my cat because <laughs> it sounds like a really big owl. Right. So I go open the front door and I'm trying to call my cat and, and I hear the owl hooting again. And it sounds like it's in the door right in or not in the door in the tree right in front of our door so you know i'm looking and i still can't see it but i can hear this like what sounds like this absolutely massive owl and i know owls usually sound bigger than they are mm-hmm. but like even then like this thing sounds like it was some massive owl and i just completely can't find it in my tree in my which isn't a very big tree you know in my, my front yard this was another time i was looking up this sort of thing which is interesting because there's this one called La Lechuza, yes. which is a uh, sort of, it's an owl woman from the areas from Mexico and, you know, some of the uh, the southern states that, you know, are on the border with Mexico. Mm-hmm. And this was one that was really creepy for me, you know, cause number one, there's the owl, I'm reading stuff about La Lechuza. And then also, before coming here, one, the, the place I probably lived the most was in San Diego. It's really hard for me to find stuff on La Lechuza that's not like people's homemade, you know, website kind of thing. Like, so a lot of what I find on is like stuff that's just like, you know, the stories probably firsthand or secondhand stories from people, Yeah. you know, on websites. And apparently San Diego is one of the places that has a very high occurrence of uh, people reporting seeing La Lechuza. So while I was there, I uh, would hear this sound i'd be outside playing and it would get to be around dusk and every once in a while i would hear this faint sort of woman's voice like call my name and it was like the sort of faint thing that i couldn't pick out where it was you know i could never quite find it and i'd kind of you know look around and i was never sure you know it was calling me and i'd tell my dad about it and my dad was kind of like oh there's nothing there or don't worry about it and i mean alex isn't an uncommon name by any means, especially in San Diego. But it was really odd to have that happen. So, I mean, it could have just been neighbor kid's mom calling them. You know, the neighbor kid happened to be Alex, too. But it was a weird sort of thing, you know, because that's also something that happens with it. And with actually a lot of these, you know, sort of shape-shifting witch women type things. And that memory, like when I read about it, that memory really just came back to me for some reason. Oh, yeah. 
and they're very much connected with, with the night hags too, not just um, basic shape-shifting stuff. So the other really, really common thing I found that sort of recurs, you know, it hops around where it recurs is that to shape-shift, they have a skin and they either put on an animal skin or they take off their human skin. They might take off their human skin and become, you know, a spirit or they might, you know, put on an animal skin and become that animal or, you know, some kind of like hybrid form of the animal. Right. And a lot of these places where the hags, you know, will haunt your, your dreams, it's that same sort of thing. A lot of the places they say the way you get rid of it is you have to find the hag's skin and get rid of the skin. I've heard some people say with La Lechuza too, that like uh, it's supposed to be one of those things that just haunts you in your dreams, you know? And then I've heard other people say it's something you actually see and it tries to like call you out, you know, into yeah, wherever. Yeah. We've had a couple Lalatuza stories on the show. Like I, I, oh, I love you? them. I love them when we get them. They're, we haven't had too many, but yeah, I love them when we get them. At some point, we were calling it the Pandemonium Hag. This is after we had visited that ghost town, Pandemonium. It started when I was editing the audio for, to make the episode, and then it continued to like every time I would spend a long period of time with the audio that we recorded there, I would dream of this this hag like woman. Dude, it became very disturbing. But then Chad had a dream of her we don't know if it's the same one but we just assume we think it might be but uh he was out of body like you he was aside his body and she came in the room and i'm drawing a blank as to how it ended but i know she was like she went to touch him and he was not cool with that so right what she was trying to do or whatever but he he was actually looking at himself as she approached him yeah so yeah we the, I, and the one time the first time i dreamt about this thing she screamed at me she was in the hallway. Yeah, I had gotten up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night in my dream and that, and opened the door to the hallway. And she was just standing there just waiting for me and just like started screaming right in my face. It was horrifying. And then uh, I woke up from that and then had to use the restroom and you know, <laughs> had to go down that hallway. It was the whole thing. Right. <laughs> Happily, when I woke up, uh, she was not there, nor was a shadow or anything else. But uh, I'm not a big fan of these hags. Yeah. I will say um, also... So I did kind of look at some uh, some sort of paranormal message board type things to look at, trying to find somebody with a similar, similar story to mine. And I did find one that was a little bit similar, but his uh, thing he encountered was a, a shadow figure instead of a hag. But he said it was the same thing. He felt this sort of like searing anger and he just screamed like his rage at it and the thing ran off. I did find looking through the different legends and stuff that a lot of these things actually, they put on a big show, but they're very much afraid of you. And that some of the, the legends will say you can, if you grab them, they actually um, are bound to you or they'll offer you something, you know, for releasing, almost like a leprechaun. Huh. It's really, really kind of interesting. Like, you know, you, uh, one of them actually is probably like a, uh, a predecessor to the hat man. It's interesting, like in a Sardinia. You know, there's this uh, sort of weird, they call it a dwarf thing that has this hat that will sit on your chest and, you know, suck the life out of you. But if you can overcome the fear that, you know, the fear of it, you can actually grab it or grab its hat and it'll either serve you or it'll find you treasure or things like that. You know, there's some other ones like um, there's particular gin in different places in the Middle East that is supposed to have this really wide, broad hat. You know, it just made me think of the hat man that a lot of people talk about now. And it's the same thing. If you grab him or you grab his hat, he has to serve you. And so it was 
interesting to see that. We had another story on another fellow was talking about, I think it was like his grandmother's story. I think she was in Italy and she saw this dwarf walk into her room or something. And, and I think it was her mother. I might have this, the details quickly wrong, but it was her mother or somebody said, did you grab his hat? And she yeah. said, she said, no. And they said, oh, you should have grabbed his hat. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that like the roots or, or necessarily why that uh, you were to grab the hat. That particular one comes from Sardinia. I think I actually have the name here. I'll, I'll probably butcher the pronunciation, but it's called Amu Tadori. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. If he, I don't know if he had a name for. It. I think he just said it was a it was a dwarf. Yeah, but it was a uh, yeah. It was interesting um, that there's other older accounts of you know there's a reason these things really should like you know if you're not afraid of them why they should be afraid of you. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm going to cling on to that because it makes me feel better. <laughs> well, and the, the other detail you had when you said that she could tell that you were looking at her or saw her. I mean, that's something we hear so much with so many of these different entities. People say, like, yeah, it looked like it was surprised that I could see it or upset that I could see it or one of these things. So that's that's, a super interesting detail. Super interesting. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for sharing your stories. I'm going to hope that no more hags bother you at night. Me too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If anything else weird happens, you know where to find us. All right. Hey, Tim. Yeah. If you wanted a relationship-based approach to helping you and your puppy become perfect for one another, where would you go? I know exactly where I'd go. I'd go to 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. And would you find there online sources, video lessons, a secret Facebook group, and one-on-one options? If I became part of the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy program, you betcha I would find all of that and more. If you needed help with potty training, fear or nervousness, barking, chewing on furniture or shoes, crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training, and more, where would you go? For me personally or for my canine companion? I'm pretty confident in Tina's ability, so let's just go with both. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go to 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy, and I know where to find them. I know too. Sithappens.us. It's true. You know what's great about it? They have a relationship-based approach to training that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They apply proactive training methods. 90 days can teach you the best ways where you and your puppy meet in the middle and become perfect for each other. Again, that's 90 days to the perfect puppy. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 days to the perfect puppy link at the top of the page. All right, next we're going to talk to Zoe. She's been on the show a couple other times. She shared some ghost stories with us. She's coming back on the show for the next patron episode. That will be out very soon, possibly. Concurrently? Possibly concurrent with this episode. Yeah, very soon. She started this publishing company with another person who's been interviewed on the show before, uh, Lauren Devora, who wrote the My Friend Mothman book. I interviewed her before. So they together have made this publishing company, and they're going to publish paranormal books and some related fiction and so forth. Did they meet through Strange Familiars? No, they oh. had known each other before. Oh, okay. Because I thought like we're, if we were doing like a, like a matchmaking or friend-making service, I mean, Strange yeah. Familiars, the, the name kind of works for oh, that right. too, right? It really does. Yeah. yeah. 
Their publishing company is Old Salt Box Publishing. You can find it at oldsaltboxpublishing.com. Again, Zoe will be back for patrons with more ghost stories from her hometown. I want to welcome Zoe back. She's been on the show a couple of times, and you might hear her again coming up soon on a patron episode. She's starting a new publishing venture with another guest we've had on the show, Lauren Devora, who wrote the My Friend Mothman book. You want to tell us a little bit about it, Zoe? Yes. Thank you again for having me on, Tim. Sure. Um, yeah, Lauren and I, we, uh, we met a couple of years ago, and Lauren, she lives outside of Salem, and my family's from Salem. And we've always just kind of had this idea independently of, well, she's, she's an author and I'm a writer and I've been working on my own project. She's independently published very successfully quite a few novels. And recently we just kind of came together in an oddly serendipitous way in thinking that we should find our own publishing house because the kind of things that we write are a little bit outside of the norm and they're outside of genre barriers, which can be if any, anyone who's tried to publish commercially or traditionally, that's you're dead in the water. There's, <laughs> there's no, there's no hope, but we came upon this idea and I've been thinking about it for a while. Our publishing house that we announced on Halloween of 2021 old Saltbox publishing is actually a revival of the old Saltbox publishing house, which was the press of Robert Ellis Cahill. And I'm really interested to hear if any of your listeners are familiar with that name. He's a really interesting guy. He was a Salem native from around here. He was the sheriff of Essex County for a time and also a state representative of Massachusetts. In addition to being a really old school paranormal investigator. Ooh, that's interesting. Yes, and he wrote a bunch of books. Uh, the first one I ever read was called Haunted Happenings that were independently published through Old Salt Box Publishing House. And ever since his death in 2005, the company itself went was defunct because I think everyone that was involved with it either passed away or they just let they let it run out. So when I was looking through this. I was, I, I've been looking for his books and I had mine from when I was a kid. You used to be able to pick them up at gift stores and places like that around here, mm -hmm. but they've dwindled out because they've gone out of print. So I was just kind of thinking about it. I mean, I was, I got hit by COVID. So I was trying to think of ways to like <laughs> try like a new direction to go in and build revenue. And I thought about this, but then I was also working on my own writing project from, I had been rejected from, a couple of publishers and I was like, eh, well, it makes sense because what I'm working on is a little bit unconventional. Mm -hmm. But it was the sort of thing like reviving a publishing house is not a one person job unless you want to be, you know, a complete vanity press, which is fine. But I really, for myself and everything that I had going on, I really needed a partner, if anything, just to keep me focused and keep me in line. So I approached Lauren, who you've interviewed she's the writer of my friend mothman and mm -hmm. uh she has her own series um one of which is called the book of lilith which is uh supernatural novels and when i approached her it was kind of kismet because she said 
I've always, like, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to have my own publishing house. <laughs> so I called the, uh, it, this one, this is always a mouthful, the Secretary of State of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. <laughs> and I made sure that we could open an LLC under Old Salt Box Publishing, and we could. And as soon as we did that and we announced, we got in touch with Robert Ellis Cahill's children, and we're currently looking to reprint some of his books. Fantastic. And, I was going to ask if you you were going to do that. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we're working with them. And uh, as this is being recorded, we're working with his son and daughter to hopefully get an edited version and some reprints out there because like these were some of my first paranormal books and and they're very easy to read they're at most 150 pages they're very well researched and you know written in blurbs they're very you can take them in chunks if you want he has photographs he has everything and it's fascinating to me that he's really not more well known outside the area just because of the breadth of his work mm -hmm. and the impact that he made in Salem especially I mean, even just outside of his public office, I believe he founded one of the Salem Witch Dungeon Museums. There's another Salem Witch Museum, and then there's the Salem Pirates Museum that he founded all of them. They're no longer associated with the Cahill family, but those are still up and running as far as I can tell. Pretty sure I've been to all of them. Yeah, so he was a great, kind of like a public, one of the a public historian in the old school sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And we're really just trying to get his stuff back on the shelves for another generation to read. Oh, that's super cool. Mm. That's really neat. We had a lot of kind of ooky spooky occurrences that happened with it. If you are interested in hearing about that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So when we were investigating this, I looked up where he was buried because Lauren and I are both practicing witches. So I was currently out of state, but she went to his grave, which it kind of stunned me because I've driven past it like hundreds of times, like uh, going in and out of Salem. I, I never knew it was there. It's in a very prominent cemetery going in. So Lauren went and she like made a little offering and she spoke to him and she, she could probably tell it better than I can, but she had the feeling of that he was, he was on board, let's say. And so we kind of just went along and things just went really smoothly as far as like finding, like uh, registering an LLC goes, mm -hmm. which was great. But we also, um, we were trying to find his family because like, I, I really, my, my, it's really my passion to like, I, I want to get my own book out there, of course, but I also really just want to get his books back on the shelves. I think there's a, they're missing. Mm -hmm. When I go into like a, a, a souvenir shop in Salem and they're not there, I'm like, where are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when we did that, I went looking, I contacted the museums and I found out there was, you know, there was no more association. They didn't know them. And so I ended up contacting the Salem Public Library and his son had just made a huge donation of his works to the library. So I got in touch with him that way. And uh, he and I exchanged a few emails. And then Lauren, after we announced, she had done an interview with The Wild Hunt, which is uh, a publication done by colleagues of hers back where she's from in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And 
she was contacted independently by Robert Ellis Cahill's daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like these two things kind of happened at the same time in a really cool way. If you go onto the website, oldsaltboxpublishing.com or look at our Instagram, Old Saltbox Publishing Co., the whole thing, I designed the logo and it, it was called Old Saltbox Publishing House because at the time Robert Cahill lived in an old saltbox in Salem. Mm-hmm. So when they had, if you look at the old logo, it's, it's great. Like we love the old logo, but we really just wanted to have something a little bit fresher and new and unique to us. And they have like the great old fonts. It's very 80s or 90s, depending on which book you're looking at. And they have like kind of a a clip art of an old salt box Mm -hmm. in it. So I went back and I found the original, the house that he lived in. And I drew it and, you know, just kind of an architectural sketch for the logo. And Lauren and I decided that we should put a little ghosty in there just as a, like in one of the windows as a, a tribute to sure, yeah. Kale's work. <laughs> so Kale's daughter, when she contacted Lauren, she said, I love the logo, but how did you know the room with the ghost in it was his bedroom? Ah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, it, things like that. Just How could we possibly know? There have been things lining up, such as his late wife. She lives out of state. And as we've been getting the papers together, she went into the filing cabinet and she, um, I think she's legally blind and she's had, you know, she's been having surgery on her eyes and everything. And her son told me she had felt his presence in her house before her son contacted her that day about this. Mm -hmm. And then she found the file immediately when she, she just reached in and got it. So she just found the the file after not looking at it for like since 2005. Hmm. So I'm very grateful that the, (laughs) the people who um, were were working with them to do this, like, and I, I I guess I shouldn't have expected anything less with, with him, especially because he was an experiencer as well as a researcher, Mm -hmm. but his, uh, we were, Lauren and I were so worried that they would like get um, a contact from us and just be like, get these weirdos out of here. We've had enough, <laughs> but they're, they're very open and receptive to this sort of thing, which is such a relief. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I can imagine, you know, as an author, if my books were out of print and somebody cared enough to reprint them, especially with the you know permission and cooperation of my living family, I would have no problem with that. I would be very, very happy to see them go back in print. Yeah, we're doing this. It's it's really like a tribute to him, mm-hmm. especially. We call him our literary ancestor because, honestly, if I hadn't picked up Haunted Happenings in, of all places, there's a an, a place called Kimball Farms nearby where I live. They do ice cream as their thing, but they also have like bumper boats and mini golf and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I picked up this book there and it has one of the most terrifying ghost images I've ever seen in it. But it's like, I found that there and it just led me down this path that's like completely mapped out my life in so many ways so as a as an influence it's invaluable and especially now when there's just such a renewed interest in the paranormal and the occult and just high strangeness all around it's like no like children need to read this and adults need to too because all of his research is very is valid well i wish you luck i'm super excited i love these kind of um independent creative-based businesses 
and I hope you succeed. I really do. I want nothing but the best for this, and and I I look forward to seeing what you bring out. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're looking to reprint. We're going to do a reprint of My Friend Mothman in the coming year through our publishing house. We're working on the binding for that right now. We're collaborating with Cahill's daughter and uh, his son for this project. So that'll probably be, I'd say, a 2023 release. Uh, I currently have my own book slated to release in June or early summer, the Preppy Witch Handbook, which uh, has its own Instagram in addition to mine at ZG Burnett. (laughs) (laughs) And anything else, I mean, we're, we're really in the production stage right now and trying to build a base, but... We have some some fun things that in mind that we're really just trying to take from the manifesting stage into reality. So if uh, your listeners would like to learn more about that, we're at oldsaltboxpublishing.com and we have a newsletter that can they can sign up for as well as an Instagram and a Facebook. Fantastic. I look forward to seeing what you do. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I think the next patron episode, which Zoe will tell us more ghostly tales from her hometown of Townsend, Massachusetts, I think that will be the 85th patron episode, Allison. We're getting perilously close to triple digits. We really are. You can access all of them for a mere $4, right? $4 a month. We have not raised the price yet this year. I don't know if we will. We're going to hold it at $4 for a while. That's the starting tier. There are other tiers of support if you want things like pins and stickers and so forth. You can check it out at patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons, regardless of the tier, get two full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. So you get those 84, or if Zoe's episode has come out, 85 episodes right away. You get all 85 of those immediately as soon as you sign up. And two more every month for as long as you remain a patron. Patrons make Strange Familiars possible. We absolutely could not do the show without our patrons. So you can help us make Strange Familiars. You can get extra content. Patreon.com slash Strange Familiars. And of course, we want to thank all of our patrons. Without you, there is no Strange Familiars. So We're thanks. Just strange without them. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. So we've gone deep back into our archives, Allison, for this week's Curiosity of the Week. And this is the last copy I have right now. I keep finding more copies, so I'm sure we'll find more. But this is the last copy I have right now of the Hex book. That's one of my favorite parts of the Philip Smith interview that we mine constantly. Is like, they say he found his Hex book. That yeah. weren't no hex book. That was the long lost friend. Yes. Now this isn't the long lost. This friend. isn't the long lost this friend. Is the this book, is really the hex book. <laughs> this is the book titled Hex, which tells the story of the Nelson Raymeyer murder, the so-called hex murder in Raymeyer's Hollow, York County, so-called Hex Hollow. Ever since, it has a lot of neat information. It's been a long time since I read straight through it, but we were doing some research and we were looking in there. It has a lot of neat information about other local powwows and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a really good telling of the story. Yeah, what I like about it is that it was someone who was actually fairly objective coming in later on. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's some decades have passed since the murder happens when he writes the book. And so it's not so steeped in the sort of dumb Dutchman narrative of these sort of the rural people being superstitious. It's just sort of a more of a an objective telling of what happened. Now, this book was published in a few different formats. There was a hardcover and there was a mass market paperback. Yeah. Is that the smaller one? That has yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. With the orangish cover. Now, this is the trade paperback. And this was what I call like the local version. The others were published by like I don't know. Bantam or something. Yeah, like some big publisher, bigger, yeah. maybe Simon and Schuster or mm-hmm. something. This is what I call like the local edition. It's published by the York News Agency, and it's a trade paperback. So it's kind of like what I consider to be the local version mm-hmm. of the book. And we've sold several copies of this before, but like I said, this is this is the last copy I have right now. It's funny because it's one of those things that I think like every person of a certain generation in this area Has. had a copy of yeah, this. Like yeah. I know my grandparents had a copy, my parents had a copy. I think it's probably one of the top five local history stories. In fact, when they were retelling the story of York, when George, the historian George Sheets was retelling it, there were three stories they told him not to tell. This was one of them. The Hex story. Interesting. Who's they? Well, you know, there's always the powers that be. The infamous powers that be. (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to pair this with a booklet called Popular Home Remedies and Superstitions of the Pennsylvania Germans. It has a few kind of powwow um, charms in it, and it's got other superstitions and weather forecasting and so forth. Uh, This I had several copies of both of these. This is also my last copy of popular home remedies and superstitions of the Pennsylvania Germans. This book was printed, I think, originally in the 1950s or something, maybe even in the 40s. I think they were available in like local gift shops and stuff. I think there's new printings of them, but this is definitely one of the the original printings of it. So this booklet will go with the Hex book. The Hex book is in fantastic condition. Yeah, that's really nice. That might be new old stock, honestly. So that's it. Until I run into more hex books, which I probably will. I'm like a magnet for these things. But for now, that's it. So we'll put that up as the curiosity of the week. There'll be a photo of that in the show notes. If you click on it, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week. We finally sold out of the pain pills. All I hope pain everyone pills. is cured. <laughs> the, the pain now pills we're are... moving on to popular home remedies in lieu of the 120-year-old yes, you, aspirin. You, you couldn't get your antique aspirin, so you're going to have to use popular home remedies. Or, I mean, to me, I feel like tintypes help your health, but I don't know if there's like a scientific... Well, they help your health. They help my health. Speaking of, we have a lot of photographs you've added. Yeah, I've probably added like 30 more photographs, which would definitely help out the podcast and get you started collecting. Artwork there, originals and prints of mine. All of my books are there. Strange Familiars t-shirts. We still have all sizes, small through 3XL at this time. So it's a great time to pick up a Strange Familiars t-shirt with the Awoken Tree logo, the originals. Also on Etsy is The Witch Cloud. Episode 300 is upcoming, and yet it's already out. How does that work? Time travel. (laughs) Either that or it's a multimedia project. It's a hardcover book. It's a podcast. We did some music with it. It's an audio book. You can purchase that at Etsy or you can purchase it at the Stone Breath Bandcamp. All right. That's it for this week's Strange Familiars. We'll be back soon with more. (laughs) 
Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. You can find more or purchase music by Stone Breath at stonebreath.bandcamp.com, where you can also get the Witch Cloud either as the book and download set or just the download by itself if you prefer. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We are on Instagram at strangefamiliars, one word, and you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.